Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Utmost. Utmost is a software that extends Workday to your non-employee workforce, giving you full visibility over your total workforce. Source, engage, and pay every category of non-employee worker directly from Utmost. And today, we're going to be talking about how to start, how to start thinking about your new program, your new Contingent Workforce program. We're going to be setting the stage on how to think about that and some of the principles for that. Before we start, I do need to tell you, Erica, that I just saved $400 by going to a different dentist. It was amazing. It, it, I normally would never have that concern with dentists, but I went to one dentist and they recommended me that I replace all my fillings and that I get a deep cleaning in every single quadrant of my mouth. And that seemed a little off. And it wasn't just because of the cost or just because they recommended it. This dentist also didn't have any running hot water. Some of the doors, trash cans were broken. And then when I tried to do the basic cleaning, for some reason, they skipped a few parts of it. So I think I think there are a few red flags, but ultimately, I made a good choice and moved to another dentist. I am impressed. I mean, we know you have a potty mouth, but I know literally... That they wanted you to be that that much cleaner than you typically are. So <laughs> I did yeah. think it was going to be an ad. I was like, we're starting off with an ad for someone's dentistry. Okay, good to know that you that your you know your sixth sense, your spidey sense picked up, and you said I'm not in a safe place whatsoever. Because when I think about a dentist cleaning, there's not many steps to it. It's check teeth with that weird clicker, right? The little scraper. Begin cleaning floss and maybe x-ray so if they skipped any of those that is a red flag yeah so the part they skipped was the cleaning they <laughs> kind of just did the x-rays and then they poked around in my mouth and and then claimed that i needed to get all of those uh fillings replaced so i that that was a big red flag for me when i went for my cleaning and didn't get a cleaning yeah when they went straight for the upsell before actually delivering their service <laughs> yeah I think there's a lot of lessons you can learn here from just any vendor <laughs> that you're when you're looking for is, you know, do a little bit of research, especially when it's something so intrinsic to your health, whether it be your company's health or your <laughs> own health. And I feel like we'll be talking a little bit about this on buying and thinking about some of the philosophy behind building your program. It's dental health is just has a lot of similarities is what I'm trying to say. You're killing me. Absolutely killing me. All right. Let's just get into this. Five principles. Five principles. So the reason why we wanted to chat about this today is that we've been getting a lot of people in our discussions with customers, prospects about where to start when building your first contingent workforce program. And there's a lot of different aspects of that. But before we even get into the operational tactics I think, Erica, you wanted to set the stage that there is some underlying guideposts that you should be thinking about. So love for you to start just, you know, walking through them and we can kind of provide that information to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we're going to do is a kind of a three-part series. So for, for the listeners here, this is going to be just the, the first stage. And, and exactly what, what Saad said is let's talk about just thinking it through first before we get into all the different projects that you could get into. That'll be the next one. But when I think about the five, I'm always hesitant to call them the philosophies, but the things that I've been advising other folks to think through is the following. So one is this program has to be for this company. 
It's not your former program if you've done this before, and it's not somebody else's program if you're just kind of thinking, oh, I think this, this is what this company has done. We should do it here. You really need to focus on this company. The second would be is that your success is your manager's success. It's really important that you're bringing them along. Typically speaking, if you're new to this, they don't have a lot of background. And so providing value and making sure they understand what you're doing and how it leads to the overall companies or the HR procurement org is incredibly key to like long-term for your program. The third is really constructing it with a real realistic mindset. For a lot of people who say, I can't wait to do this. I'm going to buy, do this, this is this. And you think, no, you don't have the budget, the time, the resources, not a line. So really when you come into it, how do you reset yourself for this program? The fourth, and this is something you're always going to hear from me, is relationships matter, right? Because in a contingent team, typically you're influencing people to help you. You don't necessarily have a dotted line or or a direct uh, relationship with folks of saying you have to do this. It's really about influencing and getting to know who your stakeholders and your buyers are to influence them around. And then the fifth is you really need to understand what's happening today before you can plan for change. And so, again, this is where I see a lot of people skip. They do make a lot of assumptions. This is what it was at my last company. I'm sure this is in place. They don't do some of the the discovery work that actually sets you up for long-term success. And so those are the five things that I want to walk through people today before we get into the how, what, what's the tacticalness in, in, in the following in the following podcast. Got it. So let's start off with the first principle of your program has to be for this company. Kind of talk me through, you know, I imagine... Some people have already led programs at previous companies. They're an all-star, got a lot of savings, and you know that that's what they want to bring. They want to bring their playbook that worked at previous companies and take it to this new role. So why is that not necessarily always correct? Or what do you mean by your program has to be for this company? Yeah, and that's actually a great way to say it. Like the, I have a playbook that has worked. I feel good about it. I've seen this on benchmarking, so therefore I should. And so What I really mean is really understanding kind of where your company is, what they value. A company that is highly regulated versus not are going to have very different goals, right? Very different requirements from the very beginning, right? So when you think about life sciences and healthcare, incredibly regulated versus a Bay Area tech company, right? When I think about financial companies, and again, I'm from a Bay Area tech company, so I always go back to, I get such a good dichotomy of remembering You need to understand how your company remains in existence and what's required across the board for them to maintain, right? Compliance may be a huge thing or maybe an afterthought, right? It can actually help set priorities of what's important. The second is understanding about their growth and their goals. So some people join programs and they're either in a startup or a small, medium, maybe they're in a couple hundred uh, employees or a couple thousand employees versus something that could be a hundred thousand employees. And so understanding growth goals will help you understand how contingent plays or doesn't play, right? What's the most important growth? If people are hiring employees and that's their benefit, then just be aware, right? That affects kind of where you fall in the priority line, especially if we're talking about t- total talent and how you kind of shape your message. So understanding and working with talent acquisition, what are the goals? What's important? What have you been hurrying? And then taking that information back to the business, understanding what's going on in engineers and sales, corporate world, saying, what are people looking at? Are they they doing more statement of work? Are they outsourcing? 
right? So trying to collect that information so you understand what assumptions are being made or people trying to hide things, right? Just kind of where you play in that. The third is around partner strategy, right? So there's some companies who are saying we are going to leverage statement of work and outsourcing and move away from employees versus folks who say we're going to, we're going to, it's outsourcing versus insourcing. Nope. We're bringing everything back in. Making sure you're aligned to which it is is incredibly important. So you understand again, like what you what you thought was happening at your old company. Just go through the checklist and say, what you know, what is this company trying to do? What have they thought through? Sometimes the answer is they haven't thought through it at all, and that's okay. Now you know, but you're not missing something that someone may assume that you already know, and then it could it could be seen as contradicting what the overall company's goals. Another thing I think on that is what's your buying power? So I see this a lot when folks have moved from owning a CW program from one company to another, to another. And sometimes they think in negotiation or sometimes they think in, in getting people's attention. They're so used to having maybe, maybe they're a program that had 300 million in contingent workforce or a billion in statement of work, but, and they're used to suppliers clamoring to them and saying like, choose me, choose me. And you have a little bit more of, of leverage when it comes to negotiation and whatnot. And sometimes they'll move to a smaller program for different reasons, but they'll still think they have that same buying power of the former company. And so again, just kind of resetting yourself of what does the outside world think of this company? right? What, if I know about my spend, if I know about my volume, right? Is that something that's attractive or not? Or are people excited because maybe there's less formalities, but just getting, remembering that this company is what your negotiation power is. It doesn't matter if you were the former CW program of fill in the blank company. No one cares about that from your LinkedIn profile. You're now the program manager of this company. So just kind of like resetting yourself on that. I've seen a lot of egos blown on that right? Oh, I got this great deal from this company. Why aren't you giving it to me again? You and I have this relationship. Give it to me again. But the program is an eighth of the size, right? And so from the, thinking about from the supplier side or even internally, right? I This used to be a massive program. I used to be on these leadership and governments boards and now I'm not. Hey, that feels bad. It doesn't feel, it shouldn't feel bad. You're just in a different maturity level than you were your other company. And so you just have to remember Let's pretend you have 15 years of experience. That is a great thing. That's why you own this program. But your new stakeholders may not realize why that's important yet. You have to start building that all over again. I think I, ha I have a, a friend who is in the industry and he'd kind of moved from Bay Area Tech to Bay Area Tech and then moved to startup. And he actually got a bad name for himself at these startups because he had a really hard time with when he moved to startup and he wanted that excitement. But he also wanted the formal architecture and the system architecture and the processes that he had from these other companies and kind of got a chip on his shoulder. Well, you guys don't have this. You should have this. You should buy this. And, the, you know, his current employer kind of said, hey, like we're still small. We're building that. That's why we brought you in here. Stop bopping us on the nose for not having this. We're not there yet or it's not a priority. We're doing X, Y and Z. And so we had a really hard time moving from one and it can give you a negative re reputation. If you loved your old company so much, go back to it. We're not trying to rebuild what that company was. And so just remembering that as you come to this new company, you're a new player, or even if it's the same company, but new new role with owning contingent is you're, you're reestablishing your relationship. You're reestablishing what that negotiation power can be internally versus externally and resetting what may be important for this one company versus another. So example on that is AB5. 
you came from a company that had a lot of independent contractors in California and are now in Texas, that may not be as big a thing, right? So just remembering that this company matters, where you are, and really knowing the company and not just stay in the CW bubble is going to help you be successful as you think about how to plan and how to how to remain in a leadership position, how to influence, and how to scale your program in a way that puts you within the strategic thinkers and not just the tactical person who's executing. So related to that, I just want to uh, clarify something that some of this is it will be like reactive that you'll kind of figure out naturally, like whether you're highly regulated or not, or you know what the whether you're an enterprise or startup, your buying power. But what are some proactive ways that you can figure out some of these things like growth scale and goals, partner strategy? How can you figure out some of this information about the new company? Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully if you, if you were moving to a new company, you did some of this, some of this discovery up, up front with simple things like looking at the website, but in your interview, right? Hopefully when you were speaking with either your hiring manager or folks on the stakeholder team, they, they gave you insights, but if they didn't, right? And so these are, that's for folks who, if you're in the, in the minute of interviewing, make sure you're asking them, right? What is this company's goals? Like it does, it's not too far fledged. It's, it makes sense. So put that in your interview questions, but if you already joined, then it becomes about really meeting your stakeholders and talking to, ten- so regardless whether you're an HR procurement, doesn't matter because you're going to meet with them, but as part of your onboarding plan, you know, not all companies will have something formal, 30, 60, 90. In the first 30 to 45 days, a thousand percent, you should have met with at least 20 different people, right? And you want to meet with folks from talent acquisition. Hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I was brought on. Help me understand what your guys' goals, like what is this next coming year's forecast goals and what groups, where have you been told you're, you know, we're going to reduce. And with COVID, it's kind of interesting that you know, that's going to be a much different conversation, I think, than people are used to. So sitting down with a TA leader doesn't have to be the VP. I think some people are always nervous about titles. No, honestly, guys, the lower the level, the more willing they're willing to share, right? They like sharing, they have information, but typically you want at least a manager level of saying, hey, tell me what's going on. It could be a recruiting manager, right? Could be a talent operations manager, right? So they'll generally have the information or say, you know, I don't know, but meet this person. But talent acquisition is absolutely important because you're going to hear about employee forecast, right? And you're going to understand how many employees you have versus how many we're going to. Then I say HR operations is really important as well. What do we have under the hood? What's going on? What are the goals, right? Is it all about diversity uh, inclusion? And that's okay. Here's how, t- how here's how CW plays into it. But understanding what goals were set or committed to in the company, so you can say, ah, I see how this is aligns, or oh, that's different. When I interviewed, I heard something differently. Let me go fix that. Same thing with procurement. I think category managers are usually the easier way to get in there versus like a procurement director. HR doesn't always have a good knowledge of hey, who is that procurement person? The easiest way to do that is say, who from procurement is responsible for HR services. There's always going to be one. They usually work with the benefits team, typically TA if there's like executive search or so. But the very least, if you are in HR and no one knows in a procurement, there will be one person who's responsible for HR services that you can say, great, can you introduce me to that person? And then that person, talk with them. They'll have information about what's important to HR as well, all the way up to the VP. And you can say, fantastic. Who else can I talk? Who else is high buying volume and statement of work or professional services or whatnot? And again, have someone else introduce you to someone else. That's always the best way that you get on someone's calendar. Thank you so much for meeting me, Kelly. Hey, would you put me in touch with Diana? 
You mentioned them. I think just having an e-intro will help make sure I get on their calendar. Fantastic. Finance the next, right? Making sure you understand how how headcount is looked at. Some folks consider contractors a headcount. Some people don't. Sometimes it's dollars. Let's make sure we understand how finance is looking at this. And do they care? And if they don't care, why you should make them care? So it's the start of, hey, that's fantastic. Did you know, you know, what, what are your thoughts on statement of work spend? So even just those initial ones where sometimes you're worried about if you're asking too many questions, being the new person, you can always say, oh, I just didn't know. You know, I'm just trying to make sure I understand how we're different from our new company. Not that you're poking them, not you're saying you're doing it wrong. You're just seeking to understand and get to know people. People will open up to you for sure. And then, and then again, I go, I go down the line of the stakeholders. But I think those, I think about HR, procurement, TA, finance, that's how you really start to understand how this program is operating. And you can get to, you can get to IT security facilities a little bit later, but that's how you're going to understand how people are hiring people. That's great. It's like approaching it with like a very discovery mindset of really understanding what the company is about and you know, really get diving into each uh, individual roles, goals, or each individual department's goals. And tell me if I'm wrong, Erica, but even if you didn't do this within your first 90 days, you can still do this later. And it's a little bit like that. What's that tree anecdote? Like the best time to plant a tree is like, you know, 30 years ago, but the second best time is right now. But no, I think that is great. Because I think when I think about some of the enterprise learnings right now, a lot of people follow kind of like the the MBA. Hey, within your first 90 days, you should be able to show that you provided value. And so people get a little freaked out about that and it becomes very tactical. And they say, oh, I can't meet with people because it's going to take up a lot of my time, right? And so they go right into, here's my plan, here's my execution. And let me just say out loud, and you're exactly right. If you didn't do that, there's still absolute time. But having those relationships and conversations is so key to making the tactical and the execution of work that you're going to do actually stick. So a thousand percent, make sure you're you're letting your manager know that you're doing this and the why, and it is worth the time. I can promise you that. All right, let's move on to the second principle. Since you just brought up manager, second principle is your success is your manager's success. That's really interesting. Just tell me a little bit more because I imagine some people kind of think of it like their success is tied to the company's success or they have their own vision of success. But this is pretty interesting, pretty specific. It's tied to your manager's success. So talk me through that one. Yeah. And I think I learned this the hard way. And now it was an interesting thing. So when I was at LinkedIn, we had something called a GTO symposium where we got together for a week. There's a bunch of different sessions, uh, speakers, and it really was about investing in your career. And one thing that really stuck with me, uh, because I've been doing it wrong, was they said, you know, in order to have an advocate, in order for your manager to, to be an advocate for you, they have to see the value in what you bring. You have to do it in their language. Right. And that's it's odd because that makes sense. Right. But I think in contingent workforce world, because all of us are so used to working with people who don't really get contingent and not in a bad way. That's generally why they hired you as a subject matter expert. But because they don't always understand contingent or the value or it's what you're one of four people that they are managing. And now they say, great, you've taken care of it. Sometimes we forget to relate the value that we're bringing and share the wins. We think, fantastic, I got it. And sometimes it's even a, I know best, let me tell you. And we forget to align it back to their, to the manager's goals or you know whether they're OKRs, whether they're project deliverables or whatnot, but we forget because contingents in this weird spot where we're HR and we're procurement. 
we're involved, but we're not. And so it can seem like it's this separate thing and that's okay. But let me tell you, I learned the hard way and I, and I was able to recover from it, but really making sure your manager is bought on and they say, ah, I see how this is. Usually it's operational efficiency, manager experience, right? Talent pipeline. If you're in procurement, it's going to be about savings, right? But show how you, how you blend in with their goals and you better make sure they have something on their quarterly goals about your program or about what you're doing, because that's where they're able to, to educate up and continue to check in versus say, fantastic, you got it. I'm going to go do something else. The other thing I think is important is making sure that you, you use the language they understand and not the acronyms that we're also used to. VMS, MSP, ICC, FMS, blah, 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 blah. If you're in HR procurement, they might not actually understand that. And if you are one bullet point line on a status report that they have to the, either the, the CPO is defined as chief people officer or CPO defined as chief procurement officer, if you're one line, they need to understand what that is. And so being really clear about how this, like what it says in regular language and like how well you're doing and how it affects, again, like the bigger, the bigger picture. I think as, a, as an industry, we don't do that well. The big programs are used to doing it, it well, but like that small, the medium size and below kind of forget. And so I think that's really important. The third thing is in your interview, if you are newer to this company in a program, they probably talked about the projects that they were interested in, right? They probably said, hey, we're excited. And do you know, I'm using AB5 a lot, but like, are you, you know, you doing AB5 or IR35? What are you aware of? Blah, blah, blah. So when you get in and you start understanding Make sure you validate, yep, this makes sense as the first place to start, or no, I can't because I have to do something else, but here's where it is in this roadmap, right? And so make sure that those projects that they have outlined and probably got your headcount approved for, you show when are you going to do it, or you have a really clear reason of why you're doing something else first and how this trickles up, because they're going to say, here's why I brought this headcount in. Did they do it or did they not? And so making sure everything is documented, that's the second part, making sure it's all documented of, of what you're actually doing. But your job is to make them successful. I got this headcount for this. It's complete. It's a work in progress. Here's what's going to be done. But you want them to look fantastic for hiring you. Right? You want them to make sure that they come back to you and say, excellent, sod, do this again. I told my manager X, Y, and Z, right? They're going to be most happy if you're, if you're solving problems for that. And in that, you need to set realistic expectations, right? There's no way you can implement seven tools, change classifications, do a supplier optimization, change the rate cards all within your first year. Typically speaking, if you're new to a program or you're a new contingent workforce program, they haven't done any of these. So all these sound like the right projects and it becomes a bullet point list where things could take three, six, nine, 12 months, depending on what, on what you're doing. And so it's your job as either someone who has done this right? To say, hey, here's the real, here's how I prioritize this. Here's the timing, the realistic timing it takes. Because again, I don't know, do you have systems in place? Do you have people? Do you have that are internal to you or external to you? Are you against, you know, are you breaking the law or so? So you need to make sure that you're setting real expectations of like what this potentially quarter, six months, full year, whatever feels right to you of how you can actually knock this off. So it doesn't feel like they say, here's nine projects. Let me know when you're done. And then in three weeks, someone says, well, hey, are you done? Because they didn't understand what went into it. So it takes planning, it takes work, but document it, bring them along, let them understand because they'll be an advocate for you if you arm them with information. Otherwise, they're just going to kind of come back and say, 
are you done? Got it. I think these two principles alone is it really challenges like the idea of taking your a previous playbook and trying to apply it at a, a new company that there's just so many different things that you need to take into account. And especially when it comes to your manager, you know, they hired you for a reason. You better be <laughs> helping them get their projects or their goals done and, and deliver on that. But you mentioned something specifically about realistic expectations. So talk to me, I think that's our third principle of of constructing with a realistic mindset. So talk me through that. You know, I imagine some people come in and I think we've hinted at this. You have tons of processes and systems built at old uh, companies, but you may need to think a little bit differently and you think with a realistic mindset. So talk me through this third principle. Yeah, no, I think that that's fair. So I would say I'm a big fan of bite-sized chunks, right? Let's pretend you come in into a program and you don't have a system technology in place. You don't have external help and you don't have a team, right? So kind of it's, you are the team and things are being done manually, right? So (laughs) we talk about data cleanup, when we talk about audits, when we talk about contract uh, centralization, right? It's a lot of manual work and effort that you're needing to do and you don't necessarily have need, need, have help. And it can feel very overwhelming. I like Wendy Stenger had said something and it was, it was more about with her about how do you start in diversity inclusion, but I adopted a little bit to say, she said, start where you are. I think that's incredibly important, right? What can you actually do today and in the short term and look to the future of where you're going, but take those first baby steps. Don't feel like you have to do the most mature thing. So making sure it's foundational first. A lot of things, a lot of times I, I, I watch new CW program owners come into a program and say, oh my gosh, you have no policies in place. And they implement a 15, you know, policy rules and regulations of do and do not and say, fantastic, our policies in order. But where that falls short is they're not enforceable because they're not measurable and they have no visibility into what's actually getting done. And so the, the danger of implementing policies that you actually can't control, right, is that managers then think, oh, I can do whatever I want, rules or no rules, like there's no, there's no uh, stick, there's no carrot, right, I'm not in trouble. And so now when you are ready, they can say, well, no, no, come after me because I've always done this. So I always hesitate with people saying, what are your policies? That could be the first thing that you do. No, wait understand what you actually have and what you can enforce. It's okay to say the very first policy is check with the CW program team if you want to hire a contractor. It's a silly, I mean, I would say that's a guideline versus the policy, but taking the baby steps on what those are, right? So when you do, and again, I don't love the tenure policy, but that's the, I think people's first policy when they think what they'd want to do is, okay, if you have a policy, how are you tracking start and end date? And how do you find start and end date? And what systems are you tracking start and end date? Which is the system of record? And how do you extend it? And what's a, so if you don't have things in place for that policy, sure, it's not, unless it's against the law, right? There are some countries where your, your contract has to be specific for a point. And then you say, okay, procurement, you're on point for this, or we have a different way, but being very clear of what you can actually enforce, right? What power do you have if someone goes against that? What, where automation can help you in that? And so don't just think by creating this checklist of policies great, it's all done. It actually, you kind of cut your hands off as you think about scaling. So be very thoughtful of like what you can actually enforce today versus not. Same thing with audit. And so some of the things that I say to new people is your very first thing in coming into a program is, are you in compliance with the law? 
That's what matters most. Billing is important. Pricing is important. But are you guys following the law or not? And make sure in which countries or so. Okay, fantastic. That becomes your starting point. Okay, now let's move on to the next, right? Now, do you have processes to help keep you in compliance with the law? So just being very thoughtful of like, some programs start without any technology or people. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean you're an immature program. It means you're just getting started. But it does mean when you go to conferences and you think, oh my gosh, look at all these shiny systems and these shiny services that I can buy, that you may not be ready for that yet. And that may not, you're overbuying, right? Or you're not clear in what you're buying. You set unreal expectations. And that kind of comes down and saw you and I have talked about this. Buying is not strategic. Just because you bought something doesn't mean you have a strategic roadmap. Buying something, whether it's a tool or a service, should be an activity of your strategic thinking. You should know what those requirements are and know what being successful in that means. And so should your supplier. It's been interesting. Now, having been on the supplier side, I'm so used to being the buyer, you know, and I'm very cynical. All these suppliers are trying to like, you know, they're trying to scheme me out of things. I got to be really like cynical about how I look at it. Now being on the supplier side, the more I've heard and worked with others, all they want to do is serve us. They want to serve us so badly. It's very few and far between that people are trying to screw you, right? But where I see that solutions or services fall down is the buyer had no idea why they were buying. They just heard everyone else has this. So that should be my next step. No, no. Supplier consolidation may not be your first step, right? Bill rates may not be your first step and that's okay. I think we're taught that this is the way, this is the buying journey of a contingent workforce program. And that doesn't have to be the way. And so conferences and webinars will tell us all. I mean, they're advertisements. This is Christmas advertisements of what you can get for Christmas for your program. But really being aware of like what you what that's actually going to do for you. How can you implement that? What what problems is it solving and articulating that? And in what way will actually make when you are ready to buy that relationship with that supplier much more clear where you can celebrate success and then understand what that roadmap looks like. Where is this on the roadmap? How are we solving this? Right. And so I think, again, when I think about realistic mindset and going back to like bite sized pieces is you think about it and you construct your roadmap from those bite sized pieces to continue to solve for smaller program problems to bigger, to bigger, to bigger. So it becomes a strategic roadmap, Right. And the last thing I just have on that is just just be aware, is it you or do you have a team? Because that absolutely dictates how realistic your plans are, right? Is it is it is it a program team of one? And that's generally how most programs start. Most programs are that maybe there's an MSP, maybe there's a master vendor. But are you influencing other folks to actually help you in these project initiatives? And typically the answer is yes, supplier consolidation, rate cards, job description, templates, data, right? Looking at how, how this is a talent acquisition channel. Typically speaking, you're one of amongst, right? We used to say at LinkedIn, like we were the nucleus that brought in HR procurement, finance, IT, securities, facilities, internal audit, legal, you name it. Like we brought the teams together to solve things together, but that takes time and energy and you're trying to fit in with someone else's roadmap, right? So knowing that when you're building your own, who else you're bringing in to make that happen. And sometimes you have to wait for their timing. And so these are all great things that you communicate back to your boss. Hey, we're going to do this. But in order to do so, 
I need procurement. I need one person for procurement and someone from my AP team, but they can't do that for six weeks. So I'm going to start that in here and here's what this, but I have their commitment. In the meantime, here's how I'm going to plan for that. And so it just, it just shows how thoughtful you are, shows how you're building out relationships. It shows how you understand how to complete something. Right. And again, it goes back to like making sure your manager's brought on along the way and is able to communicate up. Hey, this is going fantastic. Here's how we're doing that. But don't think that you can boil the ocean. Don't think that you can plop your old, like you, I love you said, old playbook. I'm going to plop this old program I had over here into here. So I need to buy these nine things. No, like be really thoughtful in what you're, in what you're doing. I think there's some great like specific benefits you kind of broke out even with the constructing with the realistic mindset. It's about creating a good program there, but you also, as you said, it, it kind of gives you the capital to get future, you know, budget or future success. If you just show your, you know, here's one win, here's another win, here's another win, rather than kind of having this huge plan and nobody seeing a success a year on out and you have this huge vision, but it just takes so long to implement. And then, you know, thinking about it, yeah, from a realistic mindset, things don't always go as your plan goes. I mean, obviously, the big one here this year is COVID. If you created some detailed plan in January 2020, there's no way that you're implementing that same exact plan anymore. But even in a, a year that isn't like COVID, your company could get acquired, or there could be just other related budget cuts. And that realistic mindset, I think, enables a lot of flexibility. Yeah, um, let me, let me add one thing. This is, this is the fun part that I love is, you know, I think about, we talked a little bit about the contingent workforce program philosophy and our other podcast, right? That with understanding what your company is about, what your manager defines as success, realistic. When I think about LinkedIn, we defined our philosophy as that we're a talent enablement program with compliance in mind, right? And that landed well with managers. Ah, your goal is to help me figure out how to do this not give me a rules checklist, right? Now, again, we go back to, you know, the difference between highly regulated companies and whatnot. But I think when you're defining what success is to your program, like what's important to you, I think about it in this project roadmap terms, as well as OKRs, we had them, objectives key, objectives and key results, right, for quarterly. And I, we used to do kind of like a song of the day or a song of the quarter, but sometimes there's a philosophy of a quarter, right? When you are focused on, I am focused on talent enablement. I am focused on this because it's, again, it's something that's very pithy that your managers can understand, managers understand as well as your manager hierarchy understands. Like, ah, this is what matters to us. And so being a little fun and playful, now it's going to depend on your culture, right? But when you think about what that roadmap looks like, you can kind of theme it, right? Give it a song, give it a, a fun title, give it a TV title of show that you know, right? Breaking Bad. Okay, that's probably going to be more about compliance and change behavior. But it really then does focus when you are talking about what's your priority. Because usually when you start, people say, fantastic, can you do this, 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 this. And it becomes where you say, you know what, this quarter is about Breaking Bad. And I am focused on that. So I hear what you're saying and asking me for. Let's put that on the roadmap for second quarter. And hey, what song, you know, what TV title do you think makes it? And it sounds a little silly and pithy, but I promise you guys, people have fun with that. It makes it way more relatable. And when you say, here's what I'm focused on this quarter, they get it. Ah, okay, fantastic. This is much more about cost savings, right? Fantastic. That's coming next. Great. 
they tend to understand your message and your priorities and you remember versus wanting to say yes. I think the thing I hear from a lot of C2B programs is they want to say yes to absolutely everything and then it buries them. So it gives you a little protection of of saying, I have to be realistic of what I myself or I and the small team can do. But here's how I can, you can fall into the next bucket. Because I still think that what you're asking for is important. I'm not saying no, I'm saying here's when. That's fantastic. I think just the concept of, I think we even do this here at most is like the software engineering team will have like operation XYZ or something like that. It kind of puts total focus on a specific um, feature set that they want to roll out. But yeah, it's, I think it's good for two reasons. A, the prioritization of kind of forces you um, to prioritize. Then B, it kind of tells everyone else that, oh, that's what they're focused in on. And that we should kind of support that and then move to another quarter, that other focus, that other project that you want for that team. So I really like that concept. And as funny as it sounds, I think it is, it just, it makes people remind themselves of what's going on. Let's get to the fourth principle though, of this is practically your slogan, Erica, relationships matter. That can sound very obvious, but dive into this a little bit more and why it's so crucial as a principle. Yep. Yeah, and it kind of stole my thunder earlier where no one reports to you. Okay. Let's just say that you may, and let's pretend you have a formal, a more mature program. So you may have a couple of people on your team, but when you think about where you are and it's truly around your corporate stakeholders, right? And in the business, they don't report to you. Their performance management results really aren't based on whether they listen to you or not the relationship that you make among your company as a true person, not as Erica Novak, head of client services, but as Erica, mama two, moving into a new house, terrible at parking. That matters a lot when you're trying to influence people to help you. When you have someone who can't say, I need you to do this for me by Friday. And they can say like, no, I'd prefer not to, not even a reason. I just don't want to. Right. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of like when you, when you, when you understand who the person is as a person, it really changes how they work with you as a professional. Now, in some you know, I know in some cultures, things are very much more buttoned up and polished and you're not shown to seen. You know, like don't talk about being a parent. The good news about being about going through COVID is I think a lot of those kind of reluctancies to show who you are as, as an individual versus your job title have diminished. Right. People recognize kids are at home and we're doing distance learning. I have to take care of a parent. And can you hear my cat scream on the background? So I think we've kind of lessened as a society of like being okay with the individual versus the job title. But it does, it's incredibly important in contingent workforce because we are that nucleus. We typically should be part of about nine to 10 different organizational projects. Right. So I just had just early mentioned, you know, HR procurement, finance, IT, security, internal audit, facilities, legal, three different dimensions of legal, right? There's a bunch of projects going on that typically contingent workforce should be a part of to throw their recommendations or just inform in people about, hey, don't forget to consider how this affects someone who just has badge-only access, like a cafeteria worker, or how does this apply to Deloitte? who have a constant evergreen consulting arrangement with me? Or what about the project managers who come on and off and are in multiple projects at a time, right? Just making sure that that's heard. But in order to do that, people have to know who you are. And I think increasingly folks are sometimes afraid to influence and use their voice. And so the way to do it so you're not that 
fully, right, or you're not like forcing your way into meetings is to make sure people that you are spending time with people. And so we hit on this a little bit earlier about if you're new to a company, that 30, 60, 90 days and making sure you are introducing yourself to people. And if you're currently at a program, right, you've been at a company, keeping that up. And so we used to have in our team in, in our OKRs was every month you should have had at least three, at least three different informal meetings where you're just checking in with people and you say, you don't need to come prepared. Just want to hear what you're working on, how things are going. And you start early, you know, you start it with a, just a kind of more pleasantry or whatnot, but it's a way that you're keeping tabs on what's going on in different, in different people's worlds. You understand what, how that may be motivating them to, or to not help you or that they're getting pressure from the business in this way, things that you don't always heard, especially in the world of remote working, the side cooler conversations aren't always happening. So it's, you're much having to push yourself out there and say, I know you've been on a lot of meetings, but you know, can we, can we talk, but hearing what's going on in the business and different points of views from a finance, from procurement. And when I say procurement, it's contract management and strategic sourcing, right? Very, very different. What's going on in marketing versus engineering is spend your time learning people, hearing what they're working on, how that affects what you're doing, going straight to the business. But this is generally, and then help them. Sorry, that was the other point I wanted to make is help them on a project. If you're stepping in and saying, I can take that work off of you, or, you know, here's how contingent can play a part. When you're ready for another project, they will remember that, right? So with contingent, and this is the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of program owners, you get more done by giving away the credit than taking it for yourself. If you give them the credit of your project or enable them to be successful in their project, and maybe they don't even mention contingent, the recipro uh, reciprocity of that and the idea of that there's a, a deep psychology, psychological bond of when you work on projects with other people, are they likely to work on a project with you again? If you come to play, if you come to share. And so being likable, working hard, meeting deadlines, making them laugh, right? Understanding where they come from is huge when you're setting up your governments or saying, I think it's important that we all talk for X, Y, and Z, uh, X, Y, and Z reason. And so though it feels like there's no deliverables from a 30 minute session, right? There's nothing that people can take away. You feel like, oh, I've wasted. And I put wasted in air quotes, you know, three hours this week, just talking to people. I can assure you guys, that is not wasted at any point in time. When I left LinkedIn after almost seven years, the biggest group of people who were at my goodbye party were all the folks that I had set up that initial kind of, again, I go back to finance, procurement, strategic sourcing, legal, those folks that I spent the most amount of time with there was the biggest proportion of the folks that were at my goodbye party because those relationships stayed and we had gone through some wars together. We had fought for each other. We had lost with each other. And it made a massive difference in the scale that our pro our tiny program had amongst the larger company because people just were willing to do us favors. They were willing to work for us because we worked hard for them and they knew we could count on us. And honestly, they know they could laugh and have fun and still get great work done. And that was the type of work culture that they wanted to have. Nice. What I'm feeling from a lot of these principles is that they're, they're kind of investments that if you make up front, and we'll get into these in the next episodes, is when you actually do need to get into the tactics and operations, is that this makes these investments, these relationships matter, understanding your um, manager, things like that, make everything else so much easier in the future, kind of greases the wheels and really gives you a, a good 
a starting point, a foundation to begin everything. So glad we're covering this as the, the kind of initial episode of these principles. But let's move to the last principle of you need to understand what is happening today before you can plan for change. Let's break that down a little bit. Yes. So I think one of the common mistakes that I that I have with the team, and I fell into it as well. So I want everyone to hear this is not Erica Purity telling you guys this is the right way to do it. I have fallen like for these myself. I have a good example when I came to LinkedIn, but understanding like what makes up the program or not program today, like going through and understand current workflow or current process from the stakeholders point of view, who's responsible for it in HR or TA or procurement or legal or IT, right? Going through and say, hey, how does this actually work? What's your understanding of it? Because what you'll find is they sometimes they only know their portion and they say, and then this other team takes care of it. And you'll start to uncover gaps or inconsistencies or where you can where you can understand, but it also uncovers assumptions. So the reason I say this, when I went to LinkedIn, we had a VMS and MSP in place and I was like, fantastic. We're still so small, but we already have that step. And what I got there, they said, but we're not integrated with anything. And I said, why are you not integrated with your HCM? This seems crazy to me. Well, the reason they weren't integrated with the HCM is they didn't have one <laughs> at that point. I had come in thinking, of course, they already have a, a workday in place. And they didn't. And so it opened my eyes of, oh, okay, of course, that now makes sense of why that decision was made. So uncovering some of those biases of, I assume all these systems are in place. I assume data is being passed. I assume... Another example that I had is we had, we are further along down the line, we are passing a bunch of data down to IT for provisioning. And later on, I learned is that IT was only picking up a couple of the parts that they need to do their job, but nowhere else. So I was sending them a large file, but they only really cared about four or five things. And so what I took away with that is, ah, I thought I was giving them and they were tracking that. No. Okay. Our team needs to be that core system of record. We need to compile. We need to be the one where all of IT, security, badging, facilities, HR data, non-employee data, spend date, we're going to have everything because every other team only has key components for them to execute, but not for them to look at it as a workforce. And so that's very important for me to continue to say, because I work with other teams, everyone said, oh, we think this team has it. And I, and I was able to say, no, I checked, I asked, I validated, they don't, we are keeping this. And that's okay. And actually we wanted that. We wanted to have that full responsibility but typically everyone else is assuming what another team is doing. And so making sure that you understand what's actually happening. So you don't bring your biases from your last company or, oh, I thought we were this mature company. I'm sure this is already in place. And you find out later it's not. And again, just making sure that you're able to say, how do I make my decisions knowing what I know today versus later versus I make a decision based on assumption that I have and oops, it's harder to go back on it. The other part is talking to the managers. So some people will say on the stakeholder side, this process is fine. It's been in place for three years. We're, we're good. Don't change it. And then you talk to the managers who are using it and they say, I hate this. It takes forever. I'm going around it. Right. So you have two very different perspectives of what's going on. And I always say, too, with the idea with managers, talk to someone who's just kind of done it once in a while versus talking to a high volume user because a high volume user this is generally what people want to say, oh, talk to this person. This VP of engineering loves this. Well, typically because they've learned it or part of the process. So it's very, you know, it's detailed toward them or they've kind of just said, I've gotten used to like the, the in, in, in efficiencies or like I've just gotten used to this process. So it's fine and it's working for me versus someone who 
only does it maybe once a quarter and may say, every time I do this, it's terrible. So you just start to construct a fuller picture of what the buyer feels like. And then the buyer, I mean like the manager versus who set it up versus who's partnering with it. And so when you're thinking about where you provide value, how you partner, you hear the language people use. Uh-oh, this guy is very big into boundaries. This guy created this. So if I talk about changing, he's going to take it as an emotional attack on him, right? Versus someone who says, oh, I know this, pro- this process has sucked, but I have, I've had no time to do it. Thank you so much for helping me. They think you're taking something off their plate. Now you have managers, VP of engineering, who's like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. So you start to learn who can be your champion. Who's going to be an issue if you decide to make changes and how do you have conversations with them to bring them along? And then you understand how to prioritize it. You may go in there and say, man, this is how do how can we not have IC compliance in here? This is insane. And then you learn that no one cares about it whatsoever. You're not doing anything against the law. So even though you came in thinking this should be the main priority and it's not, again, I go back to, it's not against the law. You guys are in a fine spot. Maybe it moves down to number four. Because what you're hearing from your managers, what you're hearing from your stakeholder teams is this actually would solve. And you figure out how to prioritize where you can like you bring the value that other teams are asking for. You've taken work off someone's plate. You kind of become a champion. Again, you have to line it back to your manager's success, right? But you understand how you prioritize what you're working on for this company by understanding how this company is doing their work. So what systems are in place, what processes, have they been documented? If they have not documented, that's on you. It doesn't have to be professional. Don't pretend, don't think like you have to bring a consultant in and spend money. You can do this right out. Here's what I'm expecting to do. Here's what it looks like. And then call out what the gaps are. And you can figure out what's important on that. Let me take a breath. Saad, does that sound right to you? What am I missing here? I think it sounds right. I mean, I've never run a program, but you're making me want to. It sounds fun. Like there's a lot of strategy and interesting things. And it's kind of what makes it interesting is you can't just take your old playbook. It is about figuring different things out. And I think that's what makes it a challenge, but also probably what makes it engaging for a lot of people. I think the the one thing, and you are so patronizing me now. I want to, it's, it's been the highlight of my career. I've loved it because it's, I heard it my baby as you watch it grow and scale. Like there is like this proud moment to it. And I think the last thing I'll just say on this is when you're doing your current workflows, I think a lot of people come in and they say, I'm just going to do temporary workers or contractors. I'm not going to touch everything else. And I think that's a very big mistake. When you limit yourself to just that one classification, you're limiting your ability to affect change around all classifications. Because as we know with that balloon, you start to squeeze on contractors, they move to statement of work. And if you're not tied into that statement of work or outsourcing process or however you guys define it, right, you've now now given that information to procurement. And maybe they don't know what you care about and value about, right? And it's now their data, but now you're limiting your scope to if anyone wants to know about con- contingent they can only do contractors and typically contractors are the smallest portion of your total non-employee population and if you think about career development you think about where you want to go as a contingent workforce professional you want the non-employee you want to be able to say and advise hr to say here's how we're doing that here's how we're operating and acting as a talent channel for this non-employee population in comparison to your employee And so while you may not have the operational arms or the systems or the people in place to do it, you should absolutely look at the current process as, and I'm going to keep it in the four basic buckets, your temporary workers, what's going on there, independent contractors, your statement of work consultants, 
you're outsourcing kind of evergreen relationships, right? How is that all working together? Because they play into each other. Suppliers are getting smarter. No one just does staffing anymore. It's staffing and services. So separating out statement of work from contractor, you're going to limit what you can affect and change. People are going to go around you and you're not going to be able to provide the advisory components that everyone wants to. You want to be able to provide to your managers. Here's how you could source for this. This could be an employee or contractor or statement of work. Here's how long it'll take. Here's the total addressable market for this skill set in this area. And so I think it's really important that you set the stage with managers of maybe it's not today, but here's how I'm building towards this full, right? And usually it comes around onboarding and provisioning and collecting the data up and being that one data stop, the system of record. You don't have to own all the operations. You can leverage procurement and legal and different teams, but you want it all to come back to your program. And here's the value that you bring. And we'll get into like that uh, in, in another, another part of the series of how you get that data And once you have that data, what can you do? And why does that matter to the managers? Because that's at the end, right? It's operational efficiency, it's risk, it's quality, it's all that good stuff. But then you want to put that in your manager's hands. And so I just, that's kind of my last thing when you think about what's happening today versus the future to make change is when you're thinking about that future, include the full set of non-employees because that's going to, one, help your professional career, though we should not be that selfish, that's not the the main motivator, it's on there. It's going to help you enable scaling the program and able to help you understand why this matters at the larger scale for like, what do I care? Do I just want to get people on board and off board? If you have all that data, if you have all the purview of how you're utilizing different suppliers and talent channels, that's when your program becomes at the next level, not just an execution arm. Fantastic. I think that was a really nice way to end it. Those are the five principles, but just to run through them quickly again. So the first one was your program has to be for this company. It's about all that discovery and understanding of, you know, is it a growth stage company? Is there a partnership strategy? You know, you can't just take things that you did at your enterprise back to a startup. The second principle was about your success is your manager's success. Whether it be in your initial interview, they have specific OKRs, goals, and objectives, and making sure you're aligning with them and not going rogue, I guess, and just you know making sure that your success is lined up with theirs. Constructing with a realistic mindset. Is this where we talk about Operation Breaking Bad? Or Breaking Bad, but I, do, I love that. Just the idea of it gives you ability to focus on priorities and the ability to show wins. I think that's just often forgotten and even, you know, sitting in different roles within a company. It's always important to show wins rather than just jump on to the biggest possible uh, thing you can bite onto. Uh, of course, principle number four, relationships matter. You uh, mock, but it's so cool. No, I mean, you made such a good convincing case that a lot of it is if you if you're that person who just comes in and just wants to be operational and just immediately dig into tactics, tactics, and it makes it a lot harder that relationships just makes everything smooth as butter and you better understand people, you know, what's, um, you know, driving them. And I, I, yeah, I think you really drove home that point for a lot of people, at least me. the yes. person. And yeah, your last point on the last principle of understanding what is happening today before you can plan for change. So I think that rounds out the five principles. And so what are we going to cover in the next uh, series? Next one, we'll talk about the operations and options. So again, we'll, we'll take it this from for someone who's newer to newer to contingent workforce and where do you start? So we'll just kind of walk through a couple different projects and things to think through. 
yeah, system architecture, data cleanup, auditing, process mapping, supplier rationalization, policies, classifications. But we're really focused on some of the operational things that now if you've set yourself in these five principles, now what? What do you want to do? How do you do it? Fantastic. All right. We shall see you all next time. That has been an episode of Contingent Workforce Radio. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody.